This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. I am Lisa Traeger. And every week we talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on. And then we have a guest from the episode. And as always, our guest is A-list, baby. <laughs> um, listen, we know that this has been an extremely tough week. Uh, there's been some, you know, horrible events that have happened in the news. And we are going to touch on this later in the episode. So please stay tuned for our Sister Peg segment. And we're going to direct you guys towards some resources and have a little bit more of an in-depth conversation about that. Um, but for now, we kind of, you know, are going to keep it light. Lisa, what's going on with you? <sighs> Just, I don't know. I just feel like periods suck. I'm at my parents' house and I'm, I'm in my, t- my childhood bedroom and like I revert back to my old behavior. I'm screaming at them for no reason. It's humiliating. I'm 33, <laughs> but I just am like, I went on a walk. I mean, I, okay. I told them, I'm like, I'm going to go work out in my room. Each of them entered my room separately without knocking during that one hour. <laughs> I asked for privacy. <laughs> I can't imagine. I really can't. I went for a one and a half hour walk. I have some lines to learn. I was like, I'm going to go for a walk. I got a call. They're like, where are you? I'm like, I just went. I can't even have a fucking walk. And I know it's because they love me so much. I FaceTime with a friend and they're like, what's that shrine behind you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just photos of me. They're obsessed with me. Like, (laughs) I should feel lucky to have parents that love me so much. But I just am like. I just I'm humiliated by I and I, I asked my therapist for strength to be kinder to them. But <laughs> wait, does your childhood bedroom not have a lock on it? It does. We're, I'm not really. That's not my vibe. I don't know. I didn't. <laughs> Maybe just for the workouts going forward. <laughs> well, because then they're going to knock and be like, what's going on in there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, because when I'm alone working out, I'll just wear a bra and underwear. Like, I don't need more laundry piling up. Right. No, but they care about me so much because I've been in an Airbnb, you know, for a month. So I came and I was washing the dishes and my mom goes, oh, you've had enough dishes. Let me do them. And I'm like, why am I mean to this woman? (laughs) But it's a double edged sword with your parents. You know, you love them. You hate them. There's a lot. It's just all the things I'm working on with my personality and therapy all come to light. Like I wake up to them yelling and I'm like, oh, this is where I get my behavior from. Like I didn't just (laughs) learn to yell at them. Oh my God. Last night, one of our mutual friends, um, I was hanging out with and she was telling me about some friend of her family where like the son killed the mother. And I was like, if Rosie killed me, that would be devastating. All the work I do. I mean, murder is the most extreme, but if any of your children treated you the way my, I treat my parents, I would slap them in the face. Every time I scream at them, I'm like, is is Rosie going to scream like this and be pissed? I hope not. Jesus, I hope. I don't know. I'm going to read. I'm going to read some book about how to talk so kids listen and how to listen so kids talk. I don't know. We'll see. No, but murder is tough for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. I just like I've obviously heard of children murdering parents before, but not since I haven't thought about it since I've been a parent. And I'm like, wow, it's never occurred to me that this little devil could go from throwing my jewelry around to just stabbing me multiple times. Wow. <laughs> I mean, something to think about <laughs> right <Yeah>. before bed. <laughs> Parenthood is not for everybody. <laughs> Yeah, because like, I know you're you're you're, you know, famously famously going to be child free. And you're like, I just can't imagine some tiny Lisa yelling at you the way you yell at your parents. It would just be at like an, an impasse every time. I would throw her against the wall like it was the WWE. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> I would be in jail for sure. I would there would be a, an SVU episode based on me and my child for sure. It would be um, upsetting news. Oh, I do have a surprise to tell you. It oh might gosh. be weird for the podcast, but I will do it. You know, I had to move last minute. Kara packed up my apartment. She's been I'm moving back to L.A. She's very helpful to me. Um, and so during this time, you've been babysitting my Dyson vacuum. And I want you to know that that is going to be yours forever. No, Lisa, I was going to give it back. No, I'm gifting you the Dyson. I've used it eight <laughs> times in my life. You probably use it eight <laughs> times a day. And what's fun, what's ironic is that I'm giving you a rug and you've never had a rug, really. So now you're going to need a Dyson. But you know what? You can just borrow the Dyson. You don't have to vacuum that often. We are going to live blocks away from each other. I think I'll just buy a little handheld dustbuster. I'm not a cleaner in my spirit, but I <laughs> I feel like I don't I don't know why I bought an eight hundred dollar vacuum. I'll be honest. Um, I didn't even know it was that much. for fu- Jesus. <laughs> I do have it mounted to the wall, though, so I'm, I am happy you're letting me keep it. <laughs> well, I was talking to one of our mutual friends yesterday, and uh, we were talking about the vacuum, and this is what was decided. I'm also babysitting some Obama chocolates for you, a framed picture that, of you Obama. You can't keep that. <laughs> no, that stuff's all going back to you. The Obama portrait is in Rosie's closet, no, so she sees it every day. No, Rosie can keep the Obama portrait, but I definitely need my Obama chocolates. No, you can give it, all, you can have it back. I didn't, t- I didn't help you move out so that I could like <laughs> gather things from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I felt like you probably use it a lot the vacuum yeah i mean i do and as does i I used it when my baby decided to just freaking what is it called when they when the when the football players spike a ball at the in the end zone i don't know 
I don't know. Whatever. She I touched down to fucking glass of wine and just shattered it into a thousand pieces. There wasn't really any wine in it, but like the glass went everywhere. So I definitely needed the Dyson then. Jeez. She loves throwing. She loves throwing. That's why everybody thinks she's going to be athletic. I'm like, against all odds, me and her husband and my husband as her parents, she's apparently going to be athletic. I don't know. She loves fucking throwing stuff. But just to clarify, the Obama chocolates, what are they? They're like, they're Hershey Kisses. That are special edition. No, they're from the White House. Yeah. Because I don't know if anyone here watches Veep, but, you know, she gave people presidential M&Ms a lot in that show (laughs) um, when she was mad at them. So these are presidential during the Obama years. And it was um, my old roommate who I do not speak to anymore. She moved out without cleaning up any of her stuff. I had to clean up everything, like handle it all. So it's like, I'm sorry if you leave with no notice and I have to find a roommate and clean out your room. I'm keeping your fucking Obama chocolates. I don't care. (laughs) And that's that. And take me to court, bitch. I mean, I'm not giving them back to you. That would be such a good Judge Judy, though. Like (laughs) two two comedians that hate each other going after (laughs) fucking package of Obama chocolates. I would die. That's ratings gold. (laughs) The thing that was funny while we lived together, people were like, so how's it going? You fighting yet? And I was like, you're a misogynist. How dare you? Two fun women can get along. And then a year (laughs) later, it was like, "Okay, I guess you guys were right. (laughs) (laughs) We cannot get along. (laughs) Lisa, how old is this chocolate? I just Googled it. Chocolate only lasts one year. Oh, it's not for eating. It's not to eat. Okay. Thank God. (laughs) No, no, no. it's display chocolate, display only chocolate. No, there's no way I'm eating that. This is forever. This my children. Well, not my children. I don't know. Your children. Someone will get it. (laughs) Your niece and nephew. You'll give it to them. (laughs) No, the Obama chocolates are because we have other friends that are holding some art for me and other things, but I do not trust their stoner asses with the Obama chocolates. Like I forgot they can only go to specific households that I know will not open the chocolates. Yes. Because it is tempting. Like I'm, I, I smoked weed for a long time and sometimes you're like, uh, but no, you don't yeah. open the Obama chocolate. You're like, how good of a president was Obama really? <laughs> and then you just fucking eat all the chocolate. <laughs> well, I'm really glad to hear that your parents are soaking up every minute of Lisa time that they're going to get before you move. But I hope that you can work out in peace next time. Yeah, no, I'll be nicer to them. And we're a family that doesn't discuss any problems. So the next morning we pretend nothing happens. So it's kind of terrible in the long run but (laughs) in the short term it's perfect (laughs) yeah all right um but speaking of presidential chocolate let's talk about today's episode sugar All right, sugar, sugar, let's get into this episode. I was going to sing the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun part. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I didn't even give you a chance. Okay, so this is season 11, episode two. I always hate it when they go, when they start an episode or in any episode where they go down into the subway tunnels. They just creep me out so much. Like, I just think of rats and all the, like, horrible stuff that's in the subway tunnels. So that's where this episode starts, down in the old, like, down in these subway tunnels or or, uh, maybe it's like it's tunnels off of Grand Central, I think, which I think are all connected. I didn't tell you this, but our friend Lane last week uh, pulled someone off the subway tracks. I knew. Um, our other friend told me. Insane. Yeah. Shout out to our friend Lane for being a hero. He like pulled, fully pulled someone off the tracks. And then bought him pizza and then got him a lift home. So nice. Yeah. People are having a rough time right now, probably especially in New York. And that was like, damn, what a day. I would say saving a life is enough. Pizza is kind of a cherry on top. (laughs) So 
We start down in these old tunnels that are either subway tunnels or tunnels off of Grand Central, which um, if you've lived in New York, you know, Grand Central is where the trains go out to the suburbs or to different um, to even to different states. Like you can take a train anywhere. And these two dorks are like treasure hunting down in the subway and they find what they think is their treasure. And it's actually a suitcase with a naked dead woman inside. So that's how we hit the ground running on this episode immediately with a horrific uh, body finding. And then they basically find out that she's 20, no ID, the killer stripped her naked And Warner, I guess, is too busy with a suicide at the Chrysler building. So they're like, have at it. I don't understand how the cops are supposed to just like do Warner's job for her. She seems pretty essential. But either way, obviously, Benson is very astute, uh, notices her neck is bruised, looks like she was strangled. And these two nerds are fighting. And I just Benson has a funny line where she just goes, calm down. You're both pretty. And um, I just like when Benson is sarcastic. So we get them to we get these two nerdy dudes to the precinct where they they explain that they are geocachers. I think SVU has done more than one geocaching plot line before. I'd have to research it. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think they're into this geocaching thing, which if you don't know, is like it's basically just like a treasure hunt using coordinates and maps and all kinds of clues and stuff and olivia like shows them the treasure and is like tell me again what's so exciting about pins and yo-yo it's like a bunch of dollar store garbage in this box and they're like no it's about the buzz of being ftf first to find so these guys didn't see anything you know they're they're just like the dorks that find the body they're like uh tell us who left the box there and they're like The masturbator is the name of the guy. But also what's shocking is they're not traumatized at all. They're still about the yo-yo. And it's yeah, like you did just weird. see a crumbled up dead body in a suitcase. Can you like shed half a tear? I don't know. I know. They're not traumatized at all. They're really obsessed with like being the first person to get the box of yo-yos. It's really wild. So they see this video that this quote unquote, this person whose pseudonym is masturbator has left a clue that's like, hey, and the voice is all coded and the face is all pixelated. That's like, here's where you find your clue, blah, blah, blah. But when you know who it is, the pixelation is still so obvious. Yeah, like it's clearly her. <laughs> well, <laughs> they trace it to this. They trace the Wi-Fi to a discount store on Staten Island called the Garb Barn. I mean, more depressing words have never been spoken. <laughs> like, the, I don't know. That just sounds like a terrible place. Um, not that I don't. I love a discount store. I love a Marshall's. Um, but just on Staten Island called the Garb Barn. Yikes. So they get there. They're talking to the manager. He's like, ah, the kids love the free Wi-Fi. They're always on their face space or their my book or whatever it is. Classic boomer humor. Elliot thinks it's somebody that works there, thinks masturbator is somebody who works there and goes over the PA system and is like, can the masturbator come to register one? The masturbator to register one. And then all these nerds sort of start (laughs) timidly moving towards Elliot and Olivia. And then Olivia takes the mic and goes, not a masturbator, the masturbator. So already I'm in love with this episode because it's goofy as hell. Like there's just so much funny, silly shit going on like this. So then we see this girl employee looking really sketchy and she's played by Abigail Savage from Orange is the New Black. Um, She's also been on three episodes of SVU. This is her second one. Her first one is Control, the one where the guy gets his balls cut off after he's been abducting and marrying women. And the third is Manhattan Transfer, where she stars with uh, a friend of the pod, Michael O'Keefe, playing Dirty Father Eugene, 
she plays sister Nina Kelly and has very like has sister peg vibes. So she's a great returning SVU person. So she basically, like Lisa said, you basically realize, oh yeah, why did we think it was a boy? Just because it's like, it seems like... She had like a Hot Topic haircut and it's like, this is her. Yeah, but honestly, it seems like a, the masturbator is something a boy would name themselves, like oh, yeah. not a girl. So I think that's like where the red herring was. But she's a girl and she's the masturbator and she's like, yeah, like that train almost ruined my shot in my video. And they're like, there was no train in your video. And she's like, the second take there wasn't, but the first one there was so of course of course her first take of her message to the geocachers shows a perfect shot of the 173 train coming through and a suitcase being thrown off the train like she got exactly the moment very svu we'll go with it because we have no choice so finn cross-reference to credit cards blah 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 figures out that the girl on the train is emily keefe she lived in stamford I used to live in Stamford. It's about 35 minutes, 40 minutes outside of New York. It's in Connecticut. Um, and she was going um, one way in a sleeping car to Tampa. Benson and Stabler then go visit her dad. They want to know where her dog Tank is. The stepmother gives us a little background saying that Emily was kind of like a wild child, drinking, partying, going out with the bad guys. Um, and then the dad was so happy when she met Owen. And it turns out uh, the stepmom's like Owen Cassidy, an upscale kid who sails, but who lost his job and is on quote unquote fun employment. And she lived with him on his sailboat at the 79th Street Boat Basin right down the street. And let's be honest. What? Anyone that lives on a houseboat is not a good character. That is still <laughs> a bad boy. OK, no one on a houseboat is like a chill, upstanding citizen. Prove me wrong. Listen, two of my friends are a couple are sailing around the world right now. And I'm like, it looks amazing, but also like crazy and terrifying at the same time. Like, it's not like it's below deck where they have like a staff. It's just like the two of them on a boat get having to repaint and like plug up holes and do all this crazy shit on the boat. So Ugh. I don't know. Boating's a weird life. So they're at the 79th Street Boat Basin, which is right down the street from my old apartment in New York and had an amazing bar and restaurant that just closed, I believe, which is so sad. They go to question Owen. He runs immediately. He hops on this little dinghy and tries to get away like the kind that's inflatable. And he tries to point a flare gun at Stabler. Like, <laughs> what is wrong with you, actually? You also forgot he was. Um, I've never really seen this on SVU, but he was smoking a doobie. Like, you kind of saw the joint. Oh, he said that later, but I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Yeah, he, like, legit was mid-puff as they walked up. It was really exciting. <laughs> well, Lisa, you know, you have you have tunnel vision for people yeah. smoking weed, so you noticed it immediately. I, I didn't notice that. I saw him kind of coming out of his boat, and then he, they were like... He's like, you got to ask permission to come on someone's boat. And then they were like, showed their badges. He books it. So then he's on this dinghy pointing a flare gun at Stabler and Stabler shoots the boat and deflates it, which is like a hilarious way to bring in. A, they're like, get over here, you idiot. Like, it's like a yeah, child. This is being. a very slapstick episode. of It SVU. is. It is really like, I mean, it gets weird. It gets uh, awful later. But right now it's nothing but laughs. Let's see. Owen is an in interrogation. And he says he and ran because he was, yeah, yeah. He's like a hot, preppy, douchey kind of looking guy. Very boat shoes. He says he ran because he was smoking the joint, which Lisa already spotted. I didn't know. He said he got scared. He knows nothing about Emily's murder. And then 
Benson shows up and is like, you don't know anything about her trip to Florida either. Well, why don't you explain how you have a slip down there and you make cell phone calls from there every other week? So clearly this guy is like not being truthful. Then we get a call from Finn that tells um, telling Benson and Stabler that they just found a dozen kilos of uncut cocaine on Owen's boat. So he is fucked. But nothing of Emily's was on board. No dog, no clothes. And then Finn goes just a tube of lipstick, but looks like more of his shade. I don't get this joke. I I, mean, I think it's like, ah, uh, uh, he's gay. You know, I think it's one of those. I think <laughs> it's, it's like, really weird. He wears joke. lipstick, LOL. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah. One of those jokes that uh, doesn't hold up. And then Stabler's like, do you hear gurgling? That's the sound of you drowning right now. There's a lot of zingers in this episode, too. Owen admits to dealing, but not to killing Emily. He said that he was sailing back from Tampa the day that she was killed. He said Emily and him broke up months ago. She lived with him on the boat, but got seasick, like just tied to the dock. She couldn't hack it. And then he thinks she met someone else like her and Tank took off. Then they're like, give us an address. He somehow knows her new address. I don't know. I mean, when you break up with someone, are you like, can I get a forwarding address? Like, I don't, it <laughs> seems weird to me. But um, they now are at Emily's apartment where they find Tank. Thank God. Poor little puppy. He's so hungry. He's like eating jam off the ground. She's got Tiffany boxes. And then Benson points out she's got a thousand dollar vase on a yard sale end table. Benson always knows how much stuff is. Like she knows designers. She knows what's hot and what's not. Like she'll just look at like a pair of lingerie and be like, this is $2,000 lingerie. She just knows like everything. She's an encyclopedic. She's a Manhattan girl. You yeah, know? it's like she's reading Vogue in her spare time. It's really funny to me, you know, because I think it always surprises like Stabler and them because they're like, shoes are shoes. And she's like, these are Manolos. Like she knows what's <laughs> up all the time. Um Stabler finds these pay stubs show her working at a nail salon, but back in January. So they're basically like someone's paying her bills. Maybe it's her, this new boyfriend. He logs onto her computer and immediately we get tastysugar.com, which I have to point out. We posted on our Instagram a few weeks ago, a few months ago, um, a list of all of the funny websites. And a bunch of people were like, you're missing tasty sugar. And it's just because it's really hard to get a good screen grab of it because they're kind of blocking it. But trust us, we know that tastysugar.com is a hilarious website. And also, it's just funny that whenever they find these women on these escort sites, they're always like up at their houses. Like they were just recently on their own escort profile, I guess, always. Like they were never doing email. They were just always just recently on their Tasty Sugar profile. Maybe that's um, more realistic than I think. I just have so many tabs open. If the cops came, they'd be like, what's this bitch up to? I always have... (laughs) At least 20 tabs open. <laughs> if you if they came, they'd be like, okay, she's either at BravoCon, she might be at a Simpsons convention. We don't know where she is. <laughs> she's shopping at ASOS. Okay, so her she has a video up on her profile that just says, if you're into excitement, I'm into you. I love these lines. They're so funny. So obviously the cops go to Tasty Sugar to investigate her role there. And the first person we meet is Lizette, who is this statuesque supermodel woman who is like very beautiful, very hot. I would put her on um, like a top 10 list of administrative assistants of SVU. Yeah, she would be number one (laughs) for sure. Of all the women who say you can't go in there. She's the hottest one we've seen. (laughs) Yes. And her makeup was really good. I just I really liked everything. Yeah. And they well, we find out. Okay, so 
It, this she explains that Tasty Sugar is one of a dozen properties owned by Advance United. Uh, it's not a dating dating service. They prefer to call it social networking with a romantic twist. Benson says, "I wish the precinct was like this." And Stabler goes, "Munch on a scooter, I'll pass." Like, there's just so <laughs> many funny things because basically this place is like Google, what you imagine Google or like a, a Silicon Valley place is. Like everybody's playing games and messing around, and everybody's really hot and young. But also, uh, what's wrong with Stabler? I would love to see Munch on a scooter. Yeah. That would make my life. (laughs) Come on. We see a cardboard cutout of Vance Shepard, played by Eric McCormick of Will and Grace fame. He's like a CEO who believes work should be fun, says his secretary. Wait, this is very off topic. But did you see when Ben Affleck um, and his latest girlfriend, Anna DeArms, broke up? <laughs> There's like a man throwing away a cardboard cutout of her yes. into his trash can. Yes, and our friend Nicole Byer, who has a cardboard cutout of herself in her house, was like, you'll never throw away my cardboard cutout. You can't get rid of me twice. <laughs> Um, but, uh, okay. So Lisette, the secretary, the administrative assistant is going through all their perks. They get free dry cleaning, catered meals, rent breaks on Soho lofts. Like everyone in this place is hot. They're all playing pool. Olivia notices it immediately and is like, are they putting something in the water? And she goes, we have a generous health plan that includes cosmetic surgery. And like, I don't think that is a thing. I've never heard of that. I don't think that your health plan can like include cosmetic surgery, but maybe. Um, I know that my friend's health plan included getting your eggs frozen, which yeah, I know is and different. So, yeah, it's but... reproductive stuff for sure. But I just don't think like you can get like your deviated septum fixed. But like, I don't think you can just be like, I want a nose job. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe like, if you work at a cosmetic surgery Sure. Yes. Then you get services. But if you are a listener and your job has provided you with free cosmetic surgery as part of your health plan, do write in. I'd love to hear about it. Actually, um, my um, when I was a waitress back in the day, my other waitress friend worked at another place and she said that the guy was such a creep. He would make everyone dye their hair. He would be like, I'll pay for your salon visits. And he got girls tits and stuff. But it's because he was a creep and would watch them on the, you know, he was not, it wasn't out of the kindness of his heart. He was like a controlling psychopath who watched them all on cameras and wanted everyone to be um, a brunette with big tits. That's wild. So that's the, it's not open anymore. I'll say it. It was the salt and pepper diner. Oh, okay. Made famous from John Mulaney's joke off new in town. But, um, yeah. So in Chicago, but if you do need to get a breast reduction, I have had to, they are covered. So make sure you do that. <laughs> well, right. Because a breast reduction is like back problems. And like, the, I just don't understand how you could like justify, like I need bigger tits, like for my health. Um, Okay, so now we meet Vance, who I I just cannot unsee him as Will Truman on Will and Grace. It's like this whole episode is predicated on him being like this horn dog straight guy. And I know that the actor is straight in real life, but it's like when I see I'm so I just watched so much Will and Grace that I have a hard time not picturing him as just like a funny gay man. But he doesn't like Elliot's tie. AVU is a strictly a no tie zone. And then he says, what can I do you for? So like this guy is basically just like the biggest tool ever. They're like, we're here to talk to you about tasty sugar. And he's like, do I own that? Like such a tool, like forgets what he owns. 
they basically are like, we're going to need access to her accounts, her chats, the people that she talked to. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to need a warrant. Like, you know, you got to do this legally. I don't really like privately owned companies and the government intrusion happening. So um, they back at the precinct, the tech suddenly cannot find Emily on Tasty Sugar anywhere. So they're like, oh, they must have taken it down. And she's like, wait, I can still find it. Ever heard of the Wayback Machine, which like we all use, I feel like all the time. And Olivia goes, only the one that Sherman and Mr. Peabody used. And Olivia seriously dating herself because I had to Google this. Sherman and Mr. Peabody was a cartoon within the Rocky and Bullwinkle show in the 60s. So it's like, oh, I think there were just like some old man writers in the room that were like, we'll give her this joke. People will get it. And I, I don't I don't think so. So they do find Emily's page in the Wayback Machine and they see a link that's like, oh, if you're shy at the bottom, we can double date with my BFF. Pamela and Pamela's video is almost better than Emily's looking for excitement video. She just says, I'm looking for rich experiences. <laughs> Email me. What would <laughs> like, yours be? I'm a, I'm a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lot of fun and I never shut up. Send me a message. Um, <laughs> what would yours be? I think I'd just be like, I'll fuck you for money. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> No, I think I would also say playing the game at all. (laughs) No, I think I would say like I enjoy rooftops and seafood towers and sex. (laughs) Great. We're going to get ourselves up on a sugar baby site ASAP to see who does better. Uh, A pregnant woman who talks a lot or a girl who likes seafood towers and rooftops. Okay. We cut to this girl, Pamela, on a date with Elliot, what we'd all love to be doing, going on a fake date with Elliot Stabler. He's pouring champagne. He's being charming. And it's really it's funny because it's like he's acting. I guess that's this is part of the act that he's acting like he has no idea what she's talking about or what this site is about at all. Like he's she's like 5K is my minimum and I always fly first class. And he's like, my your minimum. Like he doesn't understand anything. And she's like, that's OK. My last daddy was a virgin, too, which I didn't like that sentence. She's like, I need a charge card. I can do weekends away any weekends except for the last of the month. That's when my boyfriend's band plays and I need to be there because I'm always there. And it turns out her boyfriend she actually has a fiance who's totally down with her being a sugar baby so basically we cut to elliot being like hey i'd love if a friend came along what about your friend emily that i saw on the site with you and she's like it's gonna have to be a different bff because emily's an idiot she fell in love with a guy he had so much fun on the date we went on that he said he was gonna buy tasty sugar so here's our clue um that this guy is vance shepherd and then she whips out her phone and there are pictures of emily and vance cozy cozy when they were on a date a few months prior because he's only owned tasty sugar for three months so obviously he bought it because he had this a magical date with emily so now they bring vance into interrogation he says he's got nothing to hide and they're like well it's clearly you do have something to hide because you did not say anything about this when you were there and you don't even seem that upset right now talking about this murdered girl that you went on a date with where were you the night Emily was murdered? He said he was having dinner with Lisette, his assistant, and Lisette would never lie for me. He admits he lied about knowing Emily because he's the face of a private company and he has a 17-year-old daughter named Chantel. He references his ex-wife, Joyce, who has anger issues. He says he joined Tasty Sugar because he's busy and it's just easier to have an arrangement. And Tasty Sugar obviously is sort of similar to like Ashley Madison. Well, Ashley Madison is just if you want to cheat on your pregnant Oh, wife. just for cheating. But, yeah. but you can find sugar babies on there too, I think. Too. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I knew a girl who like wrote an article about being a sugar baby from Ashley Madison. But anyway, 
So they're talking to him and he's like, you don't understand. It was different with me and Emily. I took her to museums. I encouraged her to go to college. I brought in her horizons. And then uh, Elliot says to Olivia, how many times have we heard this song? And she's like, oh, the ballad of the loving John at least once a week. So again, <laughs> we're just nonstop with the one liners. This episode was like clearly written by comedians. So then he admits that he probably tried to help Emily more because he screwed up so badly with his own daughter, which I don't, this is very creepy, but he admits that he was like not the best dad, worked long hours, gone all the time because of his business and stuff. Uh, He said he loved Emily with all of his heart and he broke up with her to test her to see if she loved him or just his bank account. That happened Wednesday afternoon. That's the night that she went uh, missing. She cried, pleaded, then got pissed and said she was going to go hook up with her old boyfriend. He says she came to his place at three and was gone by 345. So they're really like, well, what was the rest of your day like? And he doesn't really like how pushy they're being. So he calls his lawyer. Then we segue to kind of these uh, sort of quick testimonials almost that remind me of early Sex in the City episodes when people used to talk right to the camera. Oh, I know. Remember? And so like people are like, oh, yeah, I trained him at 5 a.m. Oh, yeah, we had a business meeting at nine. Like everyone's just talking. And then like the waitress that sat him for lunch knows exactly what time he left and when his crowd came in, blah, blah, blah. So he's got alibis all day up until 245. But then that would have given him time to still murder Emily, except he was supposed to have his daughter's soccer game at four o'clock. So now we go meet Chantel, his daughter, who, uh, talks about her little soccer game and how it was uh, they beat them. And I was like, I'm surprised Stabler didn't like know the score and like the schedule <laughs> of the soccer calendar at New York private schools. Cause that's just seems like Stabler would be like, Oh yeah. The monarchs Our lady of perpetual hope. I know your school. Like she reminds me of the oldest daughter in Mrs. Doubtfire, this Chantel. Oh yeah. yeah that's kind the vibe of. I got from her. Yeah. 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 So they're like, was your dad at your soccer game? And she's like, yep, he was. And then her mom jumps in and is like, Chantel, don't lie for that bastard. He was she was in tears because he never showed up at the game. I'm always the one that has to pick up the pieces when he disappoints her. And then Chantel's like, oh, yeah, because you're never a bitch and storms (laughs) off. It's just always. I'm sorry, but I can't imagine them being married like this is crazy. It was it's a weird coupling. There's no way. There's no way that he married this like Upper East Side woman. I just I don't see it. I don't see these people together and I don't see them giving birth to this child. Like nothing makes sense lineage wise. Yeah. But I mean, it it also seems like he's one of these guys that might have also like really focused on his appearance and gotten things nipped and tucked. So he looks a little younger than he is, you know, because she looks like the mother of a 17 year old, you know, he doesn't necessarily look like the father of a 17 year old. So, and my dad always taught me, like, if someone's lying, like you don't need to shut up, talk about it later. You don't call people out while they're lying. If that's someone you care about. So like he lied once and I was like, nah. And he goes, why? I'm your dad. Who the fuck is this? Like, let me lie. (laughs) And I was like, oh yeah, good point. So it's like, if your daughter's lying to the cops, let her have it. What are you getting involved? Well, because she hates him. Well, but we get into this because she hates him. Yes. Like she has a really, I'm just giving a lesson to the listeners. If your loved one is lying, you let them lie and then you (laughs) talk about it later. Yeah. Bring it up later. Cover them. So yeah, Chantal calls her mom a bitch and storms off, which seems like par for the course of New York City children uh, treating their parents. 
Uh, I say that as a person with cousins who grew up in New York City. And Joyce basically gives her read on on uh, Vance, which is that he's a child. He craves attention. He throws fits. He's in, he's like into youth culture, like he texts more than Chantel. He never physically hurt them, but came close. And she said, mentally hurt me every moment of our marriage. He filed for divorce two days after I had a double mastectomy, she says. So you're thinking, wow, what an asshole. But then we get back to Vance and he's like, she had a mastectomy because she's a hypochondriac. She saw something about the gene, which he's referring to the BRCA gene and got a preventative mastectomy despite having not having the gene and having no family history. I mean, okay, that's her choice, though. If she wants to get her boobs removed. I know people that have done that. It's like, whatever, you know? Yeah, but he's clearly a superficial guy, so that's not going to fly for right. him. It's not right. like they ever loved each other. But I don't really like him painting her as, like, crazy. Like, you know, breast cancer is scary. A lot of people are scared of it, and people will do stuff like getting preventative mastectomies, so I don't think it's that crazy. Stabler points out that he never showed up at the game. Vance said he was upset about the breakup, so he stayed home, had a drink, and met his assistant for like later. And Stabler's, like, basically just in his face being like, admit it, admit it, you did this. And then in walks his classic defense attorney, Dwight Stanich, played by Robert Klein, a very famous, well-known actor. He represented Carol Burnett in her episode. He also represented Jordan in the episode Flight. That's like an early Epstein episode that they did. So he um, he's definitely someone they bring in for like the big, the heavy cases. My favorite rom-com is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. He plays McConaughey's boss. He's been in so many damn things. I also did a show with him at Caroline's one time. Oh, excuse nice. me. Yeah, excuse his son me. was there. Um, He comes in with a DVD footage of security coverage from the building and shows footage of Emily leaving Vance's building at exactly the same time that he said she was at 345. In walks Sonia Paxton. <laughs> <laughs> this is my Greylick. Like, you hate Greylick, then she's my number one hatred. I just, like, I understand why. And uh, trust me, at the beginning, I was like, she's too much. But I just love this actress. I think Christine Lati is such a talented actress. I've been watching her my whole life. And I think she's so good. And this is, like, the kind of part I would want to play. Like, I would want to play someone like this. Like, she's just such a bitch. She's always telling Stabler that he's an idiot and that he's wrong. Like, and he's not right all the time. And so sometimes she's right. So I, but I think she has a journey. As I've said, as I've commented on our show's Instagram page. She's had a journey. She went into recovery. Listen, I just think we need to give Sonia Paxton a chance. I like her. And she did have a tragic end for, you know. Yes. Spoiler alert. If you haven't watched, she does not. She's not long for this world. So Sonia walks in and she's like, so you just let him off the hook, like bust his ass on prostitution. And then we have like sort of an interesting conversation between Sonia and Olivia about sex work where Olivia is kind of like, there's nothing wrong with what these girls do on Tasty Sugar. Like, you know, it's like this is what what people can some people consider this work. And like, that's that's our belief, right? That sex work is work. Correct. And Sonia's just like, it's prostitution. It's the oldest profession in the world. Like, you know, and she's like, I can't believe you don't agree with me. And Olivia's like, why? Because all women have to agree on everything together. So it's an interesting little spat. And it's about and it's interesting because the episode is from. It's from 2009, so it's from like 11 or 12 years ago, and it's still a relevant conversation, you know? The show's always tapping on uh, into these issues. Yeah, there was um, an episode this current season about camming exactly. and sex work. There, it's, it is really upsetting to see 
how we never move forward, even though we think we do sometimes. Yeah. But basically they're like, uh, let's go back to the secretary. She's got to know something. The secretary always knows something. And they're like, we already talked to the secretary. Do you think you can do a better job? And she's like, watch me. So now they get into, but they're back at tasty sugar. Now Sonia's with them with Benson and Stabler. They're questioning Lisette. And she's like, you would never lie for him. Right. Even after he bought you that very impressive rack. And then she has this little monologue where she's like, everything is my business. Your boobs, your boss, your belligerent little attitude. You better start talking before I throw you in lockup where you're that cute little body of yours. Will get you all the attention you can handle which is pretty fucked up like to basically threaten someone with like you're you will be assaulted when you go to jail and i don't think you want but that. also did she have a bad attitude she seems pretty nice like i don't understand. i know but that's sonia's whole thing sonia's gonna find an attitude where there's no <laughs> attitude like so she but she's based they're really focusing on lisette's chest a lot which i um <laughs> would love to find out a little bit more about uh, whether the actress was okay with that because uh, you're they're like your trial's coming up soon by the way your double D alibi here is pretty shaky I mean there's like literally a comment every 10 seconds about this woman's chest which I guess her work paid for anyway they're about to start combing through Grand Central security tapes when Lizette shows up at the precinct and says I can't lie for Vance anymore she hands them a bloody shirt and she goes that lady scared me so (laughs) say what you want about Sonia but she fucking got her man she did it (laughs) Vance got to her place but later than he said he did he was disheveled freaked out they barely made their reservation he had told her he got bumped by a cab and knocked down in the crosswalk and then gave her this shirt with blood on it to get dry cleaned and told her not to tell anyone and then he says she says I think my boss killed that girl So now we've got uh, they arrest him back at Google Tasty Sugar, where he's like about to make a basket to determine who gets to go home for the day. He's like such a tool. And they show up mid shot and they arrest him. So Vance is in interrogation and he admits that Emily broke up with him and that he was too. turns out he was too old for her. Uh, And he's kind of like lamenting and he's confessing to everything. And Sonia busts in is like, shut your mouth, Vance. Do not say another word. And they're like, he will not speak until counsel is here. And Olivia's like, he already waived his right to counsel twice. And Sonia's like, do not say another word. He is clearly distraught. And that's exactly what his his defense attorney, Dwight Stanich, will argue. And the confession will be completely thrown out. So she knows her shit because she's probably not wrong here. No, I'm always on the side of the cops. I would hate if someone interrupted my interrogation. Of course, but what wouldn't you what what if your interrogation was at risk of being completely thrown into the garbage? Oh, so Sonia can break the rules and run and harass this woman at her job, but yes. here we have to follow the rules. Yeah. How is the shirt not going to be thrown out? You threatened that she's going to get assaulted in prison. So, no, she's a hypocrite. No, she came with the shirt on her own. I I don't know. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. Sonia's bending the rules. But, like, she definitely, I think, doesn't owe the cops to finish their interrogation if they're getting it from a distraught witness and it's going to get thrown out. I learned this at the law school of SVU ad that I think Sonia's right. <laughs> I thought I was about to learn something new about you that you went to law school. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, the USA Network of Law. Merch. So um, Stabler kind of like grabs Sonia on the way out, which is like not a great look. Like he, you know, he should not be like manhandling her. And then he calls her a sanctimonious bitch. She calls him an adolescent a-hole. And then meanwhile, Vance is banging on the glass being like, hello, I did it. Can somebody listen to me? So then we cut to the arraignment, which is kind of a wreck because Vance keeps pleading guilty, even though his lawyer tells him to shut up and says that he's not guilty. 
Sonia asked for $5 million in bail. The defense asked for one hundred dollars The bail is set at a million dollars, but the lawyer reveals that basically his strategy is extreme emotional distress, that his company had recently lost a lot of money, plus the breakup. All of this just kind of caused him to snap. And that's the argument that they're going to use. So now Sonia's like, we have to find footage from uh, him at Grand Central getting on that train to kill Emily because we need proof that his extreme emotional disturbance defense is bullshit. So they're looking at all of this uh, footage. They are striking out. They're not finding Vance anywhere. Sonia lights up a cigarette and then goes, what are you going to do? Bust me? Like, it's just, it's so true. It's what you say. That's what's annoying about her. She thinks she can break the rules when she wants, but no one else can break the rules or no one else can fuck up. But what's interesting is the moment she lit the cigarette, I was like, I like you now. Like, I liked it. <laughs> it was the opposite. I was like, yeah, try to smoke inside. It actually, I wanted, it made me want a cigarette. They need to put her in some commercials. I mean, it's illegal to have cigarette commercials. Cigarette commercials are not a thing anymore. No, they haven't been for so, can they even uh, advertise in magazines anymore? That's been illegal too, right? I don't think so. Yeah, damn. Poor cigarette companies. <laughs> They can't advertise anywhere. <laughs> um, okay. So finally, in the midst of the arguing over the cigarette, Olivia spots a full frontal shot of Emily getting onto the train and they realize that Emily isn't Emily. Okay. So now Stabler goes to see Vance in lockup and he's like, you didn't kill Emily. And we, we're basically getting these two cross cut scenes. Okay. Of. Benson talking to Chantel, the daughter, and Stabler talking to Vance. And they're going back and forth, kind of explaining what happened and making excuses. And Chantel's like, you think I killed that girl? And then Olivia's like, hell yes, I do. You killed her and you wheeled her into Grand Central masquerading as her. And then they show her the photo. So she has no choice kind of but to confess. She starts confessing that she was at her dad's place. Emily came in. Chantel didn't even know that her dad was dating anyone. She just knew that he was blowing her off for some reason. And she couldn't believe that he was dating someone so young, like basically just a little bit older than her. And she said when Emily smiled at her, like they were going to be best friends, she just kind of snapped and it went blur. She grabbed her by her neck and she said it felt so good. Vance says he walked in, saw her lying there. Her eyes were open, but she was cold. This is why I don't really get the bloody shirt. It doesn't really seem like there was a lot of blood in this crime. So I don't really understand where the like bloody shirt would have been a good piece Maybe of evidence. Maybe it was when they had to finagle her body to get in the suit into the suitcase. I also wanted to say this is one of my favorite tropes of SVU is when they watch the footage over and over and over and everyone's like, go home. What do you think you're going to find? And then the footage has the answer. Yeah. Um, that I get really satisfied in those. Cause moments. they have boxes and boxes of grand central footage. I mean, it's like one of the busiest train stations in the world. Like it's really wild. So Vance walks, finds Emily. And then Chantel says, daddy, I did something real bad. And she said, he spun around for a second and he looked so scared like Chantel was going to kill him too. As she had like a dead look in her eyes. And he says, I made her that way by being a bad dad or never being around. So he admits to taking off Emily's clothes, putting her in the suitcase. He said he was crying while he did it. And then Chantel's like, he never cries over me. It's like, okay, well, I would say putting your ex-girlfriend in a suitcase dead is sort of cry worthy, but. Chantel likes to make it all about her. Uh, he told Chantel to put on Emily's clothes and bring the suitcase down to Florida so that the old boyfriend would take the blame. Then the train is delayed. 
So she just takes, she just pushed that whore out the window. And Chantel looks like a total lunatic when she's recounting her side of the story. But it's also like, like what an idiot. Stick to the plan. So what if it's a delayed train? You just murdered someone. Just yeah. Right. Because I I bet you if she just rode the train to Florida, they wouldn't have gotten caught. I guess not. Because anytime you go to a different state, I feel like that's when killers like rule because nobody talks to each other. So there's all kinds of jurisdiction stuff. And yeah, they would have just blamed Owen. So Vance basically knew that this whole plan was falling apart when he found out that they were going to look at the tapes and of Grand Central and then knew that they weren't going to see him doing anything. So he had Lisette bring the bloody shirt and told her to blame him. And Chantel's like, isn't that great? My dad's taking the blame. That proves my daddy loves me, right? It's all very sad. Benson is like, that's not what's happening. And Chantel's like, well, maybe your daddy never loved you. And and Benson's like, he didn't. But I still know what that this is wrong. So it's interesting. Like Benson doesn't that doesn't really throw Benson the whole your daddy never loved you. She's like, yeah, I, I know. And Vance says, Stabler, you do the same thing. And he's like, please just let me see my daughter one more time. Because they're like, the jig is up. Your daughter's definitely going to get justice for this. Um, they walk Vance into the precinct. They let Chantel out of a holding cell. And she's like, daddy, you said it would work. And she's like sobbing. And he's like, they found out, sweetheart. They found out. Somehow they let Vance take his cuffs off. They start hugging. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, I'm sorry too, daddy. And then she twists grabs a pair of scissors off of one of the desks in the precinct. This is all going down in the 16th precinct, by the way. And she stabs her father, Vance, in the neck with a pair of scissors. And then as he's lying there bleeding out, she goes, you'll never break another promise to me. Sonia looks shook. She is, (laughs) eyes have tears in them immediately. She is horrified. Everyone else is just standing there. Completely. I feel bad laughing. I don't know why I'm laughing, but there's like a bloodied man. But no, but everybody is frozen and just watching this man bleed out. Like, I think Stabler tries to help him a little bit, but it's like he the, I think she stabbed him right in his like, what is this one? The, an important one. Aorta? Is this the carotid? <laughs> <laughs> no, that one's in your butt. OK. Um, and so everyone just stands there as Vance dies. And that's the end of the episode. And I hope you guys are impressed because it is the 16th precinct and this is our 16th episode and we did this on purpose. We did this for you. If you think we're just willy nilly doing stuff, we have themes, you know, (laughs) we're trying to make connections and I'm pretty impressed with this one. This is what I love about this show is that so much actually goes down in the precinct. Like, like people attack each other. People spot their rapists. Like, I just don't think this much goes down in an actual precinct. But at this precinct, it's where the action is. And I don't know where I read this or I saw it or maybe I did make this up. But I felt like professionals talked about this and said that a moment like this would never happen. Like they would never uncuff a guy. Right. And, and let, let him, him see his daughter. Right. No, like that would never be allowed. Like a meet and greet doesn't happen when you've committed murder (laughs) (laughs) doesn't happen um so but we're thankful for the 16th precinct and all the drama that it has given us and we'll be back in a second for lisa to tell me all about the true crime
Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. All right. So the crime happened six weeks before this episode came out. So it is pretty close. So I don't know if it was fully inspired or there was force. I don't know. Or SV willed this crime to happen. An inspired detail. Yeah. So it's just a little serendipitous or coincidental that these things happen so close together. Um, also, this crime involves a lot of reality television, which is something we enjoy but so this is the darker side of reality tv (laughs) (laughs) if you needed to know about it so we have this guy ryan jenkins and he is a canadian guy and he comes to vegas and he wants to be famous and important he seems like narcissist sociopath lunatic liar like he claims to be a millionaire he's a cabana pool boy type um he's just spending money living the vegas life and then there's casting agents wildly in vegas and see him and they go hey you seem perfect for something we're working on and this show that they find him for is called megan wants a millionaire So I don't know if any of you remember this, but it was a reality show. And Megan is this former Playboy Playmate. And she's done lots of shows. She was on like Charm School with Bret Hart and Beauty and the Geek. She's just been on reality television. And so they pick this Ryan, 32-year-old real estate developer from Calgary, to come on the show and be one of these millionaires that Megan wants to date. Now, they end up having a side relationship within the show. Like, they click really well. And so they were texting and IMing and communicating outside of filming, which is usually not IMing. <laughs> <laughs> that little thing that's like, when the door opens, when your person comes on, and then they... <laughs> Um, I mean, I remember my junior high day, or was it high school? But I remember my whole computer screen was filled with IM filled with IM chats. I'd be talking to like 15 people at once all the time about fucking nothing. So <laughs> he also has like a goatee, which is pretty disgusting. And then 
there's a guy on this show too that I remember from Millionaire Matchmaker called Dave Levine. And in this crime show that I was watching, he was doing an interview and he's like, yeah, once you're on TV, people are excited. And it's like, sir, no one cares about you. How dare you? Anyways. (laughs) So Megan and um, Ryan are having like extra conversations and she's like, I'm going to pick you. I like you. Yada, yada. And then the producers actually reach out to her and they're like, listen, Everyone hates him. He, the audience will not like him. He's a liar. Everything he's telling you is lies. We can see that like he just tells people whatever they want to hear. He is not legit. The audience will turn on you. You cannot pick Ryan. He is not the one. But she already told him, I'm going to pick you. So he flies in his father and then he gets kicked out in front of his father and he's fucking pissed. And so he leaves the show embarrassed, rejected. And for someone that has the clear personality disorders he has, this is not good news. So he goes back to Vegas with a vengeance. Um, and basically he meets this woman, Jasmine Fior, and she is beautiful. Her idol is Marilyn Monroe. And so she, you know, she has breast implants. She's beautiful, blonde, and wants to be famous and be like a sexual icon and be wanted uh, by men. She's from originally a small town in, outside of uh, Santa Cruz called Bonnie Dune, which reminds me of Boone's Farm liquor, <laughs> <laughs> but it is not. Um, and so she's living in Vegas and they end up meeting. So they end up getting married within 48 hours um, at the Little White Wedding Chapel, which is very famous. And we have friends that just got married there, but mm-hmm. they're they like each other. They've been together um, for more than two days. Yes, <laughs> I would say years, years, years. After filming, Megan reaches out to from Megan Wants a Millionaire reaches out to Ryan going, the show's over. Let, let's kick it. And he goes, ah, I don't need you. I have a hot blonde and we're married. Go fuck yourself. So the producers and everyone is like, yeah, this was like a revenge thing where he just needed, you know, he could oh, handle. Interesting. I read about this case, but you did a much more in-depth. Like I didn't hear any of this stuff about Megan and like how he married. Cause I was like, you know, it's a red flag when someone gets married after two days. I didn't realize it was just like a full revenge wedding. Yeah. Like this was his way of quote unquote winning the show. Cause he got rejected. And it's this way of being like, fuck you, Megan. I have like a hotter, blonder woman. And so the relationship is fucked up and the details of the relationship. Um, basically his visa was running out and he needed to be married to stay in the country. So he offered Jasmine $10,000 to be able to stay in the country and she wanted money. And so she did it, but the money never came. And this is the same thing with me on the set of the show. Like he'd be like, Oh, my money's in Canada. I can't get it transferred. Oh, we're having bank problems. And also they noticed on the set of the show that he only brought one pair of pants and he had a fake Rolex. So it's like, you are not a millionaire, sir. (laughs) And the producers did say they're like, we need, some fakes because that's kind of the fun too for the audience right. like that guy's right. lying so jasmine and ryan are married jasmine's not getting her money and she ends up having to pay for everything and fronting a lot of money for their kind of i wouldn't say lavish lifestyle but like showy lifestyle and she dated like a ufc fighter or an mma something with chuck liddell um she's been on red carpets before and stuff and then according to um 
Jasmine's friend, Marta Montoya, uh, there were problems with the marriage a month into it, which makes sense when you get married to someone within 48 hours. So and then it all came to a head where they were at a cocktail party and she Jasmine started talking to this man, David, and then started making out with him, which is an insane thing to do when you're at a party with your husband. But Ryan sees that she's making out with this guy named David and shoves her and then shoves her into the pool. So um, she's pushed in the pool and she files a police report and he serves two days in jail um, and she's dealt with an abusive uh, relationship before. And so she wasn't about to take this. So you push her in the pool. No, thank you. So after all of that, she ended up moving to an apartment in L.A. and then he followed her and she kind of let him and her friend said, and I don't know how real of a friend this is. This is Vegas club scene. But this girl, Marta, was just like she liked being lusted for by Ryan, even though. I bet she knew it was unhealthy and it was fucked up. She tried to go to L.A. He followed her. She was into it. So she let him get in there. So then in this apartment, he ended up cheating on her and taking a lover and like having her find them on purpose to get back at her. Like this is just not a healthy individual or situation. Um, and Jasmine asks for an annulment and he starts reaching out to Megan from this reality TV show. And then he, right as this annulment and all this drama is happening, he signs up for I Love Money season three. <laughs> and so, and these are all like VH1 shows, right? Correct. Yeah. These are all yeah. Viacom um, reality shows. Cause I remember jo Joe Millionaire. I remember Who Wants to Marry. I remember this yeah, time yeah. of culture for sure. And like Rock of Love, Rock of Love Bus, <laughs> like yeah. all of those. Flavor I Love Flav. New York. Yeah. Yeah. Flava Flav I watched. I remember Pumpkin oh, forever. I remember <laughs> Flava Flav has star quality. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get Flava Flav on a fucking SVU. That would be an amazing cameo. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's great. Um, are you clicking and clacking to see if he's still alive or what? <laughs> Flava Flav is definitely still alive. I'm sorry. I unmuted. No, I was going to say Megan was on Rock of Love. Did you yes. say that? Yeah. Yeah. And she was on Charm School with Brett. Hart. I said Bret Hart. Yeah, but you said Bret Hart, but it's Bret Michaels. On the Bret, Michaels. Bret Michaels. Yeah. Michaels. Okay. Yeah. okay. So by Bret Hart, who's a wrestler, he did not do Rock of Love. <laughs> it's <laughs> Bret Michaels from a band. Uh, so he signs up for I Love Money season three, and he flies to Mexico for a month of shooting. And during this time, this is all like, this is such a e-gossip. I, I don't know if you guys are listening, like, get to the murder, bitch. But all of this background, I do feel makes sense. And it is kind of uh, juicy until it's just awful. She starts hanging out with this guy, Robert Hassman, and she hangs out with him while Ryan is filming and starts filling out paperwork. Now, if you're wondering, Oh, why didn't I see I Love Money season three? It's because uh, they did never aired it because he was the winner and also a murderer. So they never aired this season of television, um, if you're wondering what happened. But he did win. And so the producers talk about how during this um, and once he realized he was going to win, he was messaging Jasmine going, I'm going to win this money. I'm going to give us the life I always promised. I'm obsessed with you. Like, I want to be with you. And, you know, she likes money and she's into it. But what's fucked up is the producers were hearing and seeing all of this and thought it was a funny storyline. Like they couldn't wait to put this in the show of him being like obsessed with this model girlfriend. Um, and they saw no danger in these communications. 
And so um, he sent that email to her being like, I love you. I'm going to give you all this light, um, love and stuff. Uh, July 27th, 2009. So that's when she gets the email of professing true and lasting love. So she's like, okay, I'll do that. So he comes back and um, she dyed her hair brown for a new fresh start. And so she's a brunette now and they're together. So then on August 13th, 2009, they check into, I don't know how to say this, La Barrage, La Barrage, whatever, the Del Mar Hotel, La Barrage, Del Mar Hotel in San Diego for a poker tournament. And a few days later, her body is found in a suitcase in a dumpster in L.A. And so you might be wondering, like, what happened between this poker tournament getaway to Jasmine's body being found in a suitcase in a dumpster. It's pretty fucking horrific. So basically they go to this hotel tournament and while he's playing poker, she's texting her ex Robert Hassman. And then they get into her white, they get into Jasmine's white Mercedes to go back to the hotel from the poker tournament. And that's when things get violent. So in the car is when things got violent, something with the text, something happened in that car where he just started to beat the shit out of her. So he couldn't obviously bring a bloodied, bruised woman that he just beat up through the lobby of the hotel. So he carried her to their hotel patio door. Um, But the door didn't open from the outside. So he left her there. And on the footage in the hotel, we see him like run like a crazed maniac into his room. And so then he brings her in through the patio door. And at 5.03 a.m. this night, they see him on the footage of the hotel, leave the hotel room and take the phone, take the landline and put it on a some for some reason, this hotel had a dresser in the middle of the hallway. I've never seen this in my life. I've stayed at so many hotels, but it's like a giant wooden dresser is just in the hotel hallway. So he takes the phone out and puts it on top of this dresser, which alludes to the fact that someone is in that room that he doesn't want calling 911. Why else would you take a landline in? So the fact that they saw him go into the room alone and yet then take the phone out and hide it in the hallway is pretty telling that someone's in there. So he grabbed some ice and he went back into the hotel room. And at 5.06 a.m., he goes back into the room with the bucket of ice and he's in there for an hour. It's just really bad. He strangled her. And that's a connection to the SVU um, as well. So she was strangled. And then I don't understand how he had all of these tools with him. But he ripped out all of her teeth and cut off all of her fingers. And so that's what made it really hard to identify Jasmine when her body was found. But yeah, he took all her teeth and fingers off, which is vile and fucked up. Like, how do you do this to quote unquote someone you love or loved or claim to love? Like, even to a stranger, this is hard to imagine. But someone that you've spent all this time with to then rip out their teeth and it's just 
pretty like this guy is yeah. disgusting yeah. um should mm-hmm. i say rip out fingers one more time okay no no um, no more times <laughs> um so when he comes out of the room he's holding all the contents that would have been in the suitcase so they have him on camera like holding all of these things that didn't fit into the suitcase and then he rolled the suitcase out the back patio to the car around 9 30 a.m and he leaves the hotel like, with no luggage and no jasmine and this is all on camera and i didn't mention but in the beginning there is footage of them checking into the hotel and it's the same luggage that was found Mm. um so then there's on secure i mean the security cameras are really amazing tools in this case um so then they have camera footage of him arriving back at his apartment in la on foot so he got rid of her white Mercedes somewhere and then came back to his apartment on foot. Now this is where um, he thinks he's really smart. He starts texting all of her friends going, Hey, I haven't seen Jasmine. Have you seen her? She stopped talking to me. I think she left me again. I'm so sad. Um, Have you guys heard from her? So he starts um, texting all of his friends for some alibi stuff to find her. And then he also then that morning, calls and files a missing persons report for Jasmine. So this is what's wild. So the detectives find the suitcase and because of no teeth, no fingerprints, they don't know how to ID her. But she has breast implants. And this is from a different episode of SVU. I wish they put it in this one, but how could they have known that we needed it? But uh, they identify her through the serial number of breast implants. They are unique and everyone has their own. So they are able to identify her. And they contact the LA police department. You know, there's tons of police departments to, to try to find Ryan. And they're like, actually, because what the detective said is when a woman gets gets murdered, you look to who's closest to her immediately. You look to boyfriend, husband um, right right away. And so they're looking for Ryan and the police in LA is like, funny you should say that because he filed a missing persons report and we needed more information from him. And we've been trying to contact him all day and he won't return our calls. So a manhunt ensues. And basically one week later, he is found in British Columbia dead in a motel room by suicide he hung himself someone that works at the motel found him hanging um and he did kill himself and then a few days after the discovery of jasmine's body her white mercedes was found in a parking lot a mile away from ryan's home and there was so much evidence in the vehicle lots of blood. yeah like great hiding job like you have to bring it to a field and set it on fire or something like if it's gonna have all that evidence in it why would you just leave it filled with evidence a mile from where you live? I'm not a psychologist, clearly, and I'm diagnosing him with all these things, but he's a fucking narcissist. And when you like when he probably with the texts and everything thought he was going to get away with it all. And he, he was trying to get into Canada and his family is actually rich and they have private jets and they have like a home in Honduras and stuff. And so they needed to find him because... He was he could have definitely gotten away. But I think the manhunt got so intense that he got scared. He knew there was no way out and he killed himself. I read something where the father was like she was his only friend in L.A. and she would withhold. um, She would sometimes disappear and hang out with other people. And it's like, okay, so so he was totally right to murder her. Great, great, great. Yeah, he was like, I told him to jump Jasmine. 
But I do want to just touch on this, um, like ethics and reality television in this case actually changed a lot of casting because what's fucked up is he had a domestic assault charge from 2007 on an ex-girlfriend in Canada. And he like was charged and convicted. So what the fuck is going on that you're bringing a domestic abuser onto a reality show set and really stressful, um, like being on reality TV is stressful. Yeah. So with all of this, everyone got in trouble. So when the case broke, the collective intelligence agency was the agency that was in charge of doing all the background checks. And so Viacom was like, it's not us. It's the production company. And the production company is like, it's not us. It's this intelligence place. And the intelligence place is like, we only have jurisdiction in U.S. We actually outsource to a Canadian company. And the Canadian people refuse to answer any phone calls at all or emails. And then they found out that it was an error from a Canadian court clerk and it was all their fault. But the Canada agency ended up having to pay like $810,000 to the U.S. agency. But Mark Cronin, who created um, the I Love Money and all these shows, actually created Below Deck. Oh, boy. A show that we do love. Um, but he I says, don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But he says this uh, case changed the way they do everything and not just beforehand, but after the show, they now keep tabs on all contestants. And he said there was a person on below deck who seemed to have some problems and they keep in touch with her and make sure that she's getting psychiatric help because of this case. Wow. To make sure this doesn't happen again, because this could have been avoided if, you know, all these people did their jobs and he was never on television and he was never kicked off this volatile person and married Jasmine. And it really, really sucks. And it's really sad. And she just seemed um, like a really uh, sweet, fun person. This seems like it could have been like its own SVU. I mean, I think that like this is listed uh, on a bunch of our resources, like as what is like the inspiration of sugar, even though really it's kind of just like a few details here and there are borrowed from it. And the proximity and time is obviously so close, I think, with the suitcase. But this could have been like its own full thing. Yeah, it's really sad. And I think this just teaches us that no one should live in Las Vegas. If I'm being honest, (laughs) do not find love in Vegas, everybody. And what is so crazy about this, Kara, is and Hannah, you know this better than anyone. The Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal is this big comedy festival. And there were people that had DUIs that weren't able to go into Canada to perform. There was someone with like an old weed charge. And so he couldn't fly and had to drive. And it was like, it's so intense that you can't even perform in a comedy festival in Canada if you have any sort of crimes in the U.S. And it like fucked up people's chances of performing there. And yet this guy who beat the shit out of his girl friend was able to just come into the states and get on television it's pretty insane i don't understand why why how that happens even yeah i mean there's always like the first case that causes them to tighten everything up and figure it out and this sounds like it was probably i mean not that reality tv started in 2006 when this was all going down but it was still early-ish days of reality tv Whew, what a story. Okay, guys, we will be right back with our very special guests. All right, everybody, special guest time. I'm 
so excited to have this next guest on our show. If we are still counting how our show is going to EGOT, uh, this is one of our Emmy winners. He plays Grant McLaren in Netflix's Travelers. There are three seasons on Netflix. Perfect for you to binge right now. He plays Dr. Daniel Pierce in Perception on TNT. And you might know him as Will Truman from one of my favorite shows of all time, Will and Grace. Guys, please join us on our chat with Vance Shepard himself, Eric McCormick. We can't believe that you agreed to do this. This is amazing. We're so happy. <laughs> I'm delighted. I think it's a really funny idea. And um, and plus, I'm free. Yes. <laughs> We're, free, right? We're so blessed that everybody is um, free right now. We're getting a lot of fun people <laughs> because no one is working. I mean, no one is busy. No one's busy and everyone has done the show. Yes. I mean, literally. Yes. We have to start with a bang if that's okay. I don't know if this okay. is an even appropriate first question, but... We got to talk about the scissor scene um, of SVO <laughs> and then we'll get into everything else. But okay. I mean, I'm just dying to know about the filming of that and <laughs> just how all this. Uh, yeah, I just want to know all about it. I mean, you just got to slowly die in Elliot Stabler's arms, which I think yeah. a lot of our listeners would just love to have happen anyway. So we're just <laughs> I was waiting for a big, a big love scene with Elliot. Um, <laughs> it, it was I mean, first of all, if, I assume everyone that's listening has probably seen it, but it yes. is a pretty. It is a pretty damn good ending. Yes. Uh, it's pretty surprising. And I thought that girl was great. Chantal was great. And uh, and it was, I, I can't I'm trying to remember the special effects of it all, but it, it worked pretty well. But the thing they didn't tell me is that, first of all, we shot that scene last, at least last in my week, and late. And once I was in the ever-widening pool of blood, I had to stay there for two hours in order to get a couple of other shots. So I'm lying in a pool of my own cold blood <laughs> oh and I can't God. move. And they even took a break. I had to take a break because something would happen to the camera and the other two were scared to walk away. And I'm like, I'm I'm in blood here. <laughs> Did you love being in the jumpsuit? <laughs> um, a, co a comfortable costume. I have to assume. Very comfortable. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about what you eat for lunch, but uh, orange is not my, <laughs> not my color. It's it's not my best. Not the new black, as they say. No, not for me. So had you like leading up to doing um, this episode, had you been because this is like a this is a real classic episode for a lot of our listeners, because I think because of the name of the company, Tasty Sugar, people are obsessed with like the how funny the website is and the name of it. So, yeah, it's a it, like people love this episode. Had you been like a fan of SVU leading up? Like, I'm assuming you kind of might must have known Mariska Hargitay because you were on the same network for years. We were on the, on the same network. Her and Messing were best friends, our best friends. So I, I had met her a few times, but I hadn't I hadn't watched the show a lot. What When I had uh, this is something I was thinking about just yesterday that. The nature of the show, really, everyone's sort of working together agrees that rape is bad. And there's, it's very rare that there's a disagreement amongst them about how, you know, but this was a really interesting one because this wasn't about rape. This was about choices that someone made, the choice to, uh, as a young woman, to be a sugar baby, the choice as an older guy to be a sugar daddy. And uh, I think the argument that the cops and Christine Lottie have in, in the cop station is really interesting because it's for them, they're, they're, they're completely separated on, on an issue that in a lot of episodes, they'd all be 
on the same page on, you know? No, that's so true. And we talked about that when we sort of recap the episode that, yeah, Christine Lati has sort of like maybe a more old fashioned opinion about sex work. Right. Well, also, this episode is kind of a party episode for SVU because there isn't like child abuse or rape. It is kind of <laughs> one, even though there is a group, some murder, it is like a fun episode for SVU. It's like a silly one. <laughs> so. And the whole, the whole thing of the two guys at the beginning doing the, uh, what's yeah. it called? When they're, they're hunting for it. Oh, the, the, the geocaching. Geocaching. Yeah. was just, was fun. Because, of course, you guys must talk about it all the time that, that whatever the opening scene is and how it has nothing to do with anything. But, but they kept that one going deep into that interrogation scene with those two guys. Yes. Yeah. And then they find a full other suspect and the, who has a perfect video of the crime being committed. You know, it's, it's a, it's a great show. Do you watch you whenever you're in stuff, do you watch it? Or are you one of those people who don't like to watch yourself and things? It depends on the thing. Uh, I, I like to watch it less and less these days <laughs> as as one ages. But uh, I, I love well, my, my wife and I will will watch a Will and Grace in bed just because it's like watching home movies or something. Uh, but something like this, I, I hadn't watched it in 10 years. I watched it the other day because of this. And I thought it was fun. I mean, I, I didn't mind. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it at all. It's, uh, <laughs> I did. It's, yeah, I think it depends on the character. It depends on the on the script. Okay. I have a child. You have a child. You don't have to answer this if this feels like a weird question, but in the context of the show, do you turn your kid in if your kid is guilty of murder? Or do you try to take the blame like what your character did? Oh, my kid, I'd, I'd rat on him so fast. <laughs> um, for sure. Uh, I, might, I might actually, right after this, make something up and, and call it. <laughs> but... Uh, no, I actually, I had actually forgotten scissors and all. I'd forgotten about that aspect of it, that I, I clearly from moment one stuff my own girlfriend into <laughs> a suitcase to protect my daughter. Yeah. And also, I'd also forgotten how much those two actresses look alike, which is really, which is a, tur- a turning point in the episode with the train, sta- with the train station photograph. But it's also like, oh, <laughs> it's a tough, it's a tough move on that guy's part for sure. That is tough. <laughs> Uh, the, one, the one story I also wanted to tell, because I, and I'm sure you've heard versions of this, but the, the thing about a show like that is, un, unlike, say, Will and Grace, where it doesn't matter how what guest stars we have, they're always going to write some pretty good stuff for Will and Grace and Jack and Karen. But a cop show for 10, 20 years, sometimes it's the guest stars that have the best stuff and and they just have to solve the crimes. And, and it's I'm sure it was frustrating. But I had this great speech where I finally, in the orange jumpsuit, I confess. And, and meanwhile, my daughter's confessing at the same time. And I remember doing it with Chris. And he's sitting there looking all stabler and serious. And, <laughs> and I did a take. And the director was like, that's great. That's great. Can we do one more? And I did one more. And I cried. And was like, ah, it's so great. And, you know, Chris hasn't moved at all. And I, and I just looked at him. I said, you've heard a lot of these, haven't you? And he said, 285. <laughs> And I thought that's the hard freaking part about any cop show, any crime solving thing is the confession speech is never yours. Yeah. <laughs> Always somebody else's. And also that's the scene that Taylor has in the, um, where he takes a girl out of sugar. Oh yeah. He, yeah. he goes undercover. 
undercover as a sugar daddy. I mean, I don't know if this was like, I mean, this is clearly, it seems like how it was written, but you played it really well. Just the sort of like Google CEO guy that's like, we're fun here. We'll do your dry cleaning and buy your new boobs. Like, I mean, it was <laughs> like just the way that you're like, okay, if I make this shot, everybody like right. making it about you and trying to be like fun guy boss at the same time. Yeah. If I make this shot, everybody gets a new ass. Here we go. <laughs> Did anyone inspire you for that? asshole boss cool guy role do you think of anybody specific when you were channeling interesting question i i didn't i didn't have anybody i think really though it was what was that 2009 yeah I think we shot it so will and grace was like three years previous to that i think at that point i was just i was looking for anything that would be very different than will and so it, that was just an opportunity to make him as slick and assholey and yeah we were talking about that because we were saying, like, even in this part, you kind of can't help but be a little bit funny. Like, even though you are doing something very different from Will, like, you are funny in it. Like, you have funny parts. And, and the wardrobe helped with that a lot, I yeah. think, with those low Vs. The low Vs. <laughs> and I, and I, the one thing in, in my life I would never do is wear, was wear a necklace. But I said, this guy, this guy's got to have a necklace of some kind. You know, maybe like a shark's tooth. Yeah. Or some, you know, was the necklace guys. your idea? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, so good info. Gotta, good info. Got to go necklace. Another fun thing we should mention uh, from this episode. Yes, please. Is, is my lawyer. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, my lawyer is Robert Klein. Who becomes my mother's new husband, husband in on, Will and Grace? On Will and Grace. Oh my yes, God, he, I'm just connecting that now. Yes. Yeah, he's so like your I, stepfather. He's my stepfather, <laughs> and he married Blythe Danner, and today is Blythe Danner's birthday. Oh, so happy birthday happy to my birthday, television mom. Was that total coincidence? Total coincidence. In fact, he then went on. So we did that episode. Then Deborah did her crime show, which was called Mysteries of Laura. Mystery. I was going to say Pictures of Lily. Yeah. That's wrong. That, that's, that's it was just song. they filmed it in my neighborhood when I lived in New York. So I saw it all the time. Oh, they did. Yeah. Right. So I because I did an episode of that. Yeah. Yeah. As, as her old boyfriend, episode, <laughs> which is fine. And but Robert Klein was playing her dad on, on that oh my series. Gosh, it's just then comes in and it's her dad. Again, even though Alan Arkin had originally played that part in the first run, but we couldn't get Alan back. So. <laughs> Anyways, the, the many faces of Robert Klein. Yeah. Oh, he, and he's uh, an iconic actor as well. Comedy figure. Love him. Well, you went to high school in Scarborough. Yeah. Yes. So are you familiar with the Hamalkas? It was a case that we covered and one of their crimes sure. took place in Scarborough. So I was going to like, I think you were long gone from there, but if you remember any of the media or any, like any people in your life talking about it, it was, it was actually very close to where I grew up and I wasn't that long gone. Cause I didn't really leave Toronto until 89, 90. That's like exactly so, kind of when it was happening, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So I, cause I went to college in Toronto at, at uh, Ryerson university. And then I was always working in the theater, but coming back to, to Toronto, I definitely remember it was uh, horrific and, and stunning. It yeah. truly was. And, um, um, but another fun, the, the more fun thing about Scarborough, less, uh, <laughs> less murdery, less, less murdery and shitty than that <laughs> is the number of people that you may or may not be aware that have come out of Scarborough. Uh, I mean, I went to high school with Mike Myers. Oh, wow. I went to high school with David Furnish, who is now married to Elton John. Right. Uh, we, we, David and I did did musicals together. 
uh, in high school. Uh, Jim Carrey, uh, Bare Naked Ladies, um, some of the kids in the hall. So many celebrities from Canada. I didn't realize they were all so concentrated to this <laughs> area. Yeah. It's unbelievable. They really are. Scarborough has pretended, it's, you know, it's just a, it's, I don't know what, what you compare it to Santa Monica or something. It's uh, unbelievable. The number of people. Is it like, there. what? I don't know Canadian geography very well. Forgive me. I've, I've, I haven't been too many times, but what, what is it the closest to Toronto? Yeah, well, it's, it's a suburb of Toronto. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're proud of our Scarberian roots. <laughs> Being a musical person, is there a musical part you would love to play that you haven't? There's a few that I haven't. I sort of have, my main one, I sort of have done uh, on a VH1 special years ago. But uh, Frank Inferter from the Rocky Horror oh, Picture wow. Show would be my <laughs> absolute favorite. And uh, I'm getting a little long in the tooth for that. But uh <laughs> I always wanted to play Shay in Evita, which is the first Broadway show I ever saw. Again, at this point, you could either go with like a 25-year-old Latino guy or me. So I, <laughs> I, I think probably I think probably uh, the, the deck is stacked uh, for that one. But I have got to over the years, I've got to play some uh, stuff. I, I did uh, the Fantastics in in high school. I've done three productions since then in life. Uh, one of them directed by Jason Alexander oh, wow. from Seinfeld. And my son has just auditioned for his high school production of the Fantastics oh, in, the wow. same, in the same role that I did 40 years ago. So Whoa. that's going to be <laughs> And then this is one of my favorite questions I like to ask, but it's a little silly. Um, what is your favorite craft service snack that everyone <laughs> needs to have ready for you? I hope we can get back to a world where we have craft service. Yeah, I, yeah. Working on a set now, it's just, it's, you can't go, go near Well, anybody. I worked on a set recently where, you know, it was very masked and protected, but you had to ask someone for everything you wanted. There wasn't just like a table where you could graze. So it really cuts back on how gluttonous you can be at the craft service True. table because you're like, may I please have a Twizzler and a Rice Krispie <laughs> treat? You have to like ask for everything you want. I think my, my favorite craft service was just, I did a show for three years with uh, Rachel Lee Cook called Perception, which was on TNT. And I was also solving crimes. Um, <laughs> and, um, but I was a professor. But we, every day they would have these unbelievable apple fritters. Ooh. And you can't eat an entire apple fritter every day uh, and still look the same. By episode six. So every day, Rachel and I would go to the table and kind of look at each other. Well, we could, I mean, if we each have a piece of it, we would just negotiate a single apple fritter over the course of the day. Um, and it was heaven. Oh, my gosh. My other favorite uh, craft service story, because on a sitcom, craft service and and catering are kind of the same. Because you're not there long enough, particularly if Jim Burroughs is directing, you're just not there long enough in the course of a day to have meals and a snack table. So when we, the first run of Will and Grace, uh, the woman in charge of all things was named Sandy. And Sandy's from, from the South and she always had such elaborate things. And every day for lunch, it was like heavy, like barbecue every <laughs> day. And uh, one day I said, you know, Sandy, it's a little, you know, like this is a, a show where you can see our bodies all the time. And I can't eat ribs all the time. She said, oh, what would you like, like a salad you want? I said, salad would be great. So the next day there was this salad with this warm dressing and I tried it, it was fantastic. I said, now that's more like, what is that dressing? And she said, oh, it's, it's so easy. It's just, uh, it's just, it's basically just bacon fat. <laughs> no, that's, that doesn't help. I might, I might as well have a fritter. <laughs> 
I love Sandy. Oh, Sandy. Love Sandy. Oh my gosh. I just, I'm like really still, I'm just so excited we got to talk to him. He's like one of my true. I just love Will and Grace so much. It's really like a warm blanket for me. And he's amazing that he watched the episode to prep a little bit. He has an amazing memory and he's just so charming. I was like fully like taken by him. I was so <laughs> fucking giddy. Um, so what did we learn this episode, Lisa? I would well, say. Well, before learnings, I would love to bring oh, up. Oh, a quick a update. Sa- yeah. Unfortunately, this year, um, the Food Network just removed season 20 of Worst Cooks in America because the winner and her husband this is fucked up obviously uh were arrested for allegedly like homicide by child abuse of their three-year-old foster daughter so three yeah oh god i thought the age was older that's really terrible they killed um their child and um though it's the winner of the show so yeah it's like so it's like it was it was just a connection to that case where the that, you know, reality TV is fucked up. Well, everyone is. I don't know. I don't know what the lesson is here, but that it still happens and bad people are on television. <sighs> if you didn't know, I don't know. Yeah. So go ahead and take Worst Cooks in America off your DVR, because I don't think that that's we're not watching that anymore. And then someone was like, well, that sucks for the people that were like, I'm going to be on TV. And then it's like, oh, no, you're not. Yeah. Um, We thought we were taking you guys through one episode that didn't have anything to do with child uh, death or (laughs) rape. And just so you know, we squeezed it in at the end. So uh, but what we learned from this episode is. Youth is overrated. You don't need to act like a young dude. You don't need to like leave your wife and start dating someone your daughter's age to feel youthful. I think there's a lot of other things you can do. Get Botox, pick up kite surfing. I don't know what to tell you, but like, let's, you don't have some, (laughs) your kid is going to murder your new girlfriend. (laughs) I also would like to say I learned um, if you, if there's a plan on how to get rid of the body, follow through on the plan. Don't just throw the body on the tracks. Like if she went, go to Florida, commit, you know, go all the way. It seems weird to try to get away with a crime. Only 80%. When you deviate from the plan, you get caught. I think we've, we've learned that for sure. Yeah. And, um, if you're into geocaching, you need to take a deep breath and just calm down. Just <laughs> you're you you don't need to be in old subway tunnels uh, and not caring that you just found a woman's dead body and only care about a yo-yo that you need to find. I think I would like to say um, if your boss is buying you tit implants, maybe his character is in question. Something's up. Something's up. You're going to be expected to do a lot if your boss gets you implants. But also <laughs> we want to know if anyone please write to us if you have had a job that has let you have paid for your plastic surgery. I'd love to hear about it. Well, I would love this to happen to me actually, but I, I'm going to try to listen to my own advice here. Don't get married within 48 hours of meeting somebody. Oh yes. The real case. Oh God. Yeah. 48 <laughs> hours. You got to wait. You got to wait a week. No, you got to <laughs> yeah. wait a long time. Wait, wait some time and find inner peace in your life that you're not looking for so many external, um, like validation things like you're not looking for money or a Mercedes or to be on television for your happiness because it'll never fully fulfill you. So make sure you're working on yourself inside out. And if the cops are approaching you on your boat and you're smoking a joint, you should not try to shoot a flare gun at them and try to escape on a dinghy. Like it's just a joint. You're going to be okay. I I'm sure you'll, you'll be fine. Like weed charges are, I just don't think that that was, that's a great move. And also I've learned I'm happy to, 
go on a date with Stabler as my sugar daddy. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Was that a new a new thing you learned just now? Yeah, just I just learned that because you know what I liked about it? He didn't know about he didn't know the ins and outs. So he was like, what does that mean? He was like very vulnerable as the sugar daddy. And I liked that. That was like a part of Stabler you don't usually get. Also, if the cops come to question you about a person using your um, Internet service, don't then delete their profile. Like, (laughs) don't give them more evidence like that to me was crazy where it's like, why? You know that they know that you're a part of it. Like, what are you doing? Come on. Come on, Vance. If you own the URL, tastysugar.com, you're smart. Congratulations. (laughs) Also, if you are looking for a sugar baby, I'm available. (laughs) I need a car. And that's all I learned from this very, very tasty sugary episode. Okay, everybody, it's time for What Would Sister Peg Do? This is our weekly segment where we um, direct you towards resources, articles, organizations that can shed more light on a topic that we've covered in today's episode. Obviously, today's episode involved sex work. We had a different organization in mind, um, but we decided to pivot based on the horrific tragedies that happened when Asian-run massage parlors in Atlanta were targeted this week and um, eight people were killed, um, the majority of them being women and uh, the majority of them being Asian, which this is something we touched on a couple of weeks ago with our Counselor's Chinatown episode. Um, And we were talking about how hate crimes against the Asian American community have skyrocketed. So this is a obviously horrific turn of events, but we'd like to direct you guys to an organization called Red Canary Song. Their website is redcanarysong.net. Lisa and I have donated to them. They are a um, grassroots collective that works um, solely from grants and donations. They're going to be donating to the families of the victims. They work very hard on decriminalizing sex work and they're just, they, they're a great organization that we've heard a lot of great things about. So we decided to direct your guys' attention towards them and we've donated. So if you have the means, please donate, please go to their website, find out how you can get involved. But yeah, this was a really, really horrific crime and the way that the media is handling it is um, making me insane um, that they're not just like calling him a, a racist and a white supremacist. Like the points a lot of social media posts I've seen have made is, is like, why are we listening to what this guy says? It's like he said it wasn't racist. So let's believe him. And it's like, right. what planet are we living on? Yeah. And what why are police excusing a mass murderer and giving reasons why he did it? It's just like on top of the crime and the murder and these families that are going to be affected forever then it's like another attack to see how it's being handled and ignored and how this person's being defended and a slap in the face to everyone that's been killed by police it's just like brutalization over and over again outside of even the crime and it's just really disappointing and i feel like we've been kind of being warned about what's happening for this whole year since the moment as soon as our former president was saying racist stuff people were like this is dangerous and we kind of ignored it as a culture and yeah. I, and we had lots of other things and s- causes and situations, but this was like an S it's, it's been happening. I don't know. Yeah. And it has now fully escalated and people are getting assaulted on the streets and murdered. And, uh, we definitely have to, um, people need to be talking about this and 
We need to call it what it is. I mean, this is not like the, the, the cop who gave the press conference yesterday was like, this is just a guy who had a really bad day. Like, fuck you. Like, do you know how many women have bad days and don't murder people? Like, it's just not. That's just not an okay way to frame it. And like, I got into an argument with my husband because he was like, okay, but why are we focusing on the words of like a stupid cop? Like, let's just get this guy and figure out what he did, like why he did it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, because that it's the whole narrative, like the whole narrative that this guy had a bad day completely erases the fact that it was a hate crime, you know? So I think it is important. The words that we use to talk about these things are important. Yes. And it's also... The sympathy that we give white mass murderers that we don't give to, I don't know, a black man selling cigarettes outside of bodega that's choked to mm-hmm. death. You know what I mean? Um, so it's like we're giving humanity to a fucking killer that we refuse to give to anybody else. I think that's why it's important. And unless you're a forensic psychologist, why do we need to understand this motherfucker? Yeah. What, what what is I don't understand this need of like, well, why did he do it? It doesn't matter. The people he killed don't fucking care mm-hmm. what he right. thought happened. I mean, it's just it's really upsetting. And I know like what leads to it is I used to for sure do uh, funny Asian jokes like I'm, I was very into pushing the line of comedy and being edgy. And like we've all kind of been there. And I remember someone said like, Instead of focusing on these bad jokes you made, like focus on why you felt so comfortable making fun of the Asian community and why it's so accepted. And that really changed everything for me. And it's like we all have to realize that the words we use and how we what we laugh at and what we take seriously or not, like truly affects people's lives mm-hmm. and adds to the vibe that a lot like that excuses this. I don't even know. I shouldn't use the word vibe when we're talking about something so serious, but. Like saying Kung flu matters like those things add and like fucking idiots hear that and then go hit people in the streets. It's like what we say and what we think is not important enough that we could just make fun of it. Like we just have to kind of think about all of that, especially as comics who want to be funny and laugh at all these things. It's like, well, why? Why? Where do these jokes come from? Right. Why would you feel comfortable making that joke about this community, but not that community? Like, what does that say about? Yeah, totally. It's definitely something good to examine. And on Twitter, Robin Tran posted one of her old jokes. And it's like the movies about the Vietnam War are so fucked up where it'll be like a shot of all these dead Vietnamese people. And then a close up of a white soldier being like, oh, no. (laughs) It's like, what? (laughs) Like, do we have to feel sorry for Tom Cruise now? And then she's like, can you imagine if that was reversed? And it was like a bunch of dead white kids. And then they turned to an Asian dude going, whoops, I guess we made a mistake. Like, (laughs) and it was just like a very funny joke. I thought that, um, yeah, Robin Tran on Twitter, if you want to check her out. Um, And then this is a little bit of a pivot, but I know in the past we've asked you guys to write letters to the parole board for um, Cameron Hooker and Craig Pyre. And I checked in since March was when the parole hearings were happening. And I just want to say I found no information on Craig's, uh, but Cameron Hooker's hearing is March 30th. And so you still have time after hearing this. If you can um, write a letter to the pro board and the governor to make sure that he is not released, uh, do it for Colleen Stan um, because the month is not over yet. Yeah. And if you can uh, just everybody try to do your best to, uh, look up some articles, figure out, talk to people, tweet, donate, whatever you can do to just get the message out there that the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities have been greatly affected 
in this past year and probably for years previous. But, you know, it is an escalating trend right now that is upsetting and terrible. All right, guys, um, thanks for listening today. Our episode next week is going to be Conscience, which is season six, episode six. You can obviously, as usual, get those episodes on Peacock, on Hulu, or on a good old-fashioned USA spree, babies. We'll see you guys next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedupppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedupppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs>